0: Hey, welcome back for another episode of Transform Your Workplace. It is your host, Brandon Laws. Today's episode is brought to you by the 2nd Annual Wellbeing Think Tank Organizational Wellbeing Summit. This is an event taking place on January 20th, 2022 from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll be moderating a panel discussion at the 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time time slot and we'll be talking about workplace wellness and well-being practices. If you're interested in attending, I can give you a promo code that'll get you a discount. Use the promo code XENIUM, X-E-N-I-U-M, upon checking out. I'll put a link in the show notes. we we'll Would love to see you at the virtual event. Today's episode, I have a conversation with two guests. I have Sherry Torres and Jackie Stavros. They're the co authors of Conversations Worth Having. In this podcast, we're discussing eye opening tips for recognizing negative communication patterns inside of our organizations and also how do we have meaningful conversations that move our organizations and our teams forward. Honestly, we could probably never do enough topics on how to have conversations at work. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode in particular. I really enjoyed the conversation with Sherry and Jackie. They were a pleasure to have a conversation with about this. Enjoy today's episode. I'll look for your connections on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all those places. Have happy holidays and I'll talk to you in 2022. Sherry, Jackie, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you, Brandon.
0: We're going to talk about your book, Conversations Worth Having, Using Appreciative Inquiry to fuel Productive and Meaningful Engagement. This just released, didn't it?
1: Second edition just released, yeah, November 2nd.
0: <laughs> so you believe that our organizational lives and the lives of others flourish or flounder one conversation at a time unpack that statement for me. What what does that mean?
1: Well, if you really think about our organizations, they're like hubs of conversation. Everything we do in our organizations and our work life revolves around conversation either with other people or either with ourselves in our own head. And those conversations are fateful. They move us either in The direction towards where we want to go, or they keep us spinning around what's not working. And so organizations can thrive if they intentionally have conversations that move them towards that, or they can flounder if they continue with conversations that are depreciative
0: so I imagine because you wrote an entire book on this, that not a lot of people are getting this right. So what's wrong with the way most people are engaging in a conversation?
2: I would say it's if, if they have no understanding that words do matter and the power of our words and our conversations and how it affects your well-being, your productivity, your engagement, it's how we interact with ourselves and others. And we need to be very intentional with our words and what we're saying that move people forward.
1: And if I could just add briefly to that, our conversations are kind of like the water in which fish swim; they're always going on, but we're not usually intentionally conscious of how we're speaking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, there's a lot of storytelling in the book, which I love because there's there's examples that I can relate to, and others will relate to as well. And at the beginning of the book, you introduce Alicia who leads a team at a medical center and it sounds like her approach is just like everybody else's which is probably more negative and non-productive so what was the aha moment that she went through that made her change her approach because she went through sort of a transformation and and really bought into what you guys are talking about so maybe give us uh, the foundation of that
1: sure and you're right just like most people when there's a problem we keep harping on the problem focusing on the problem and asking why isn't it fixed she wasn't getting anywhere with that quality was still dropping patient satisfaction was still dropping and she happened to find an appreciative inquiry training that was geared specifically for healthcare institutions and it was the only thing that she could find that she thought well this looks like something different and it On her first day of training, when she was in the midst of learning about appreciative inquiry and how the focus of our conversation actually influences what's possible, she realized she was part of the problem. (laughs) And the way she had been engaging in conversation, the questions she had been asking had been keeping them in conversations that weren't resolving any issues.
0: What I find fascinating with the the ideas in this book and just... Really conversations in general about the, the approach you're taking is there's such an emotional intelligence factor to this. Like if you're not aware that you're part of the problem, that's the problem in itself is like how how would Alicia <laughs> know to make the change unless she was aware of it? So who made her aware of this?
1: I think the one of the things that happens with appreciative inquiry is – There's a paradigm switch that occurs when you learn about this process. It's moving from resolving a problem by going deeply into the problem, the root causes for the problem and trying to fix it. An appreciative inquiry says, let's fix the problem, but let's do it by instead engaging around what it is that we want. Where do we want to go? What's the outcome we're looking for? And what are we already doing that's helping us? And what else could we do? And I think that awareness caused her to realize she was in a traditional problem-solving mode and that there was this other option. And prior to having that other option, she wasn't aware that that's where she was.
0: Jackie, maybe you can help lay the foundation. Let's just step back a little bit and maybe describe some of the conversations that we do have. Mm-hmm. Sherry had mentioned the appreciative inquiry. I know that's that's a component to the type of conversation that we might have, but maybe give us the foundation of the if you can group them together in types of conversations?
2: So we did some research on the types of conversations people have, and we saw two dimensions. And the first dimension is conversations that are appreciative. You're above the line. And that's pretty simple for people to understand. I value you. That's appreciation. I value the situation. And depreciative is Coming from below the line, I'm devaluing you, devaluing the situation. So, if we look at that dimension, depreciative conversations are destructive, critical, not worth having. And appreciative conversations are affirmative, that's statement based, but asking questions. So, that second dimension is first of all, are you appreciative or depreciative? We want you in that appreciative range. The second dimension is, statement and inquiry-based. And when we're statement-based, it's just statements coming at each other. I might be affirming you're good, I'm doing good, but why are you doing good? And what else is happening? So that second dimension is learning to ask questions that create a sheer understanding between you and me, surface assumptions, make the invisible visible, creates possibilities. So those are typically the four types of conversations that you have.
0: And the people that you're talking to, including this audience, you want them to live in the appreciative and inquiry-based.
2: You got it. Okay. See so, how quick we got that? Easy. <laughs> easy. Easy, easy. No,
0: but the challenge, I think, is going to become like, how do I recognize my tendencies, like certain questions that I might ask, or like, how do you in the moment, like practicing anything it's over over time, you probably get better about like recognizing how you're asking questions and like what conversation that you're in.
1: (laughs) Right. I think also, as soon as you start to notice your conversations, you can begin to feel in your body oh, I am below the line, this is depreciative, or no, I am energized, I'm excited, this is clearly above the line conversation. And so if you just pause momentarily long enough to say, oh, I'm in a conversation, how does the conversation feel? You'll know immediately where you are. And you'll also be able to see it if you're with somebody that's
2: coming from below or above the line. You can feel, like Sherry said, the body mindset.
0: Yeah, Let's. I'm going to pose an example for you. And then one of you can jump in on this. But let's say I have an employee who is showing up late to a meeting. And <laughs> it's involving a team. So there are three people are on time. And this one person just continues to be late. Give me an example of what a depreciative conversation might be with that employee versus how I could shift it to do appreciative and inquiry based.
2: Okay, I'll give it a shot. So um, destructive, you said there's three people. Destructive might be, let's say Sherry's the one late.
0: Sherry.
1: <laughs>
2: you and I are making statements about her without her being in the room. Okay? So we're making judgments. We're just going back on statements. And it's destructive because Sherry is not part of this conversation. And neither of, one of us are curious why she's later missing deadlines. We're talking about her without her. That's destructive. If we wanted to shift it to in a conversation worth having, it might be where you and I, Brandon, are starting to talk about, you know, I wonder why she's late. What if I had a conversation with Sherry? What is this really about? And it's us deciding that we need to bring Sherry into this conversation. We actually have a story. It's actually about Melissa and Mark and his boss in the book. So you picked the perfect example that most managers in the workplace have.
0: I remember I remember reading that one that's why I I pulled that one out because it's that one's an issue yeah. that most managers deal with yeah. so
1: yes if we do. can make
0: it productive then I want people to leave with some ammo that they can uh, have a conversation <laughs> with their employees with
1: yes and so often we go in with a question that falls for for us in the critical conversation where we go in with assumptions and judgment like why are you late all the time? What is going on? Or, you know, you can't do this. So we're already assuming as opposed to going, as Jackie mentioned, I wonder what's going on because, you know, that person's not always late. It's just for this particular meeting.
0: Yeah. What I love about that is when you're asking a question like that, it's, it does become productive because you're like, how can I help you so that you're on time or or even just being aware of like why the issues are and I think in that story it was like well I'm taking my kids to school and if the meeting was 30 minutes later then I would be on time every time like duh it's
1: like (laughs) oh I didn't even involve you when I set the time for the meeting
0: (laughs) that happens too often so you bring up this idea of positive framing within a conversation and how we might be able to apply it to these kind of conversations that we're having elaborate on that piece for me
2: well, I, I'm going to, just because we were talking about Melissa and Mark, but let's just quickly deconstruct that. So positive framing draws people into the conversation and actually inspires engagement. So if you think about Mark, if you name the problem, it doesn't ignore problems. Melissa arrives late to meeting. She's missing deadlines. That's a problem. You name it, you flip it to the positive opposite. All right, Miss Alyssa is on time and hits her deadlines. Well, let's keep going. If the positive opposite was true... What do we really want to talk about here? As Mark talked to his supervisor and brought Melissa in, it's really about building a strong, cohesive a sense of cohesion on the team. So that's what we're going to really have a conversation that will address people being on time, but also what is the best time for a meeting and how do we get everybody involved in discussing deadlines and schedules? And so it becomes not picking on Melissa Because even in the book, we talk about Mark. He was part of, again, like Alicia Patel. I should talk to my team. What's the best time for us to meet?
0: Yeah, I I thought it was interesting in the book, You, I think within the positive framing conversation that you're having inside the book, there was the idea of flipping. And I think you, what you did was you, you even outlined some of the negative components that you need to address, but then you flipped it just as you described. Maybe talk about the flipping just a little bit more so people understand what maybe the process is behind that.
1: Sure. Overall, the idea is to talk about what you want instead of what you don't want. And what we suggest as a means for getting to what you want is to go through these three steps, which is the flipping technique you're talking about. The first one is to name it, whatever the issue or the problem is. And we often suggest ask questions about that to kind of widen the screen, make sure that what you think is the problem is actually the problem. But once you've got the problem, name it, then flip it to the positive opposite. And that's literally just the positive opposite. If you have low engagement, the positive opposite, the flip would be high engagement. Then the idea is to move from the positive opposite to what is it that we actually are wanting to address what's the outcome we're looking for if we had high engagement what would we see in the organization what would be happening that would be different and each one of those things that would be happening that would be different are conversations worth having
0: (laughs) what are generative questions and maybe provide a couple examples of those
2: so generative questions are questions that change the way people think and act and they give you new images and think of a generative question that it brings about curiosity. A generative question that makes room for a diverse perspective is, is me asking you, Brandon, how do you see it? Asking Sherry how she sees it. The second thing it can do, it can surface new information. So tell me about how you do this in your department or a prior organization, stimulates creativity and innovation. What else is possible? You know, my favorite question, and who wouldn't want to be asked this question when you have a problem? So tell me, what are your wishes? What would you like to see happen? And sometimes people have to get comfortable with the pause, but what would you wish to see happen?
0: Yeah, the the (laughs) silence is always really hard, but I do love that because it makes the other person part of the conversation versus if I'm just telling somebody what to do, like a, a statement, it's not engaging them to a solution. So those generative questions are really important, I think.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing that generative questions do um, that make them so powerful is they widen our view of any situation or of any person we so often especially we get into work we get into a work mode there's a pattern we have a way of doing things and there's kind of tunnel vision and then we always do what we've always done and we complain about always getting the same outcome but if we stop and we ask generative questions they it actually widens the screen of what we're looking at. And as Jackie had mentioned before, making the invisible visible, all of a sudden we're like, oh, those are assumptions. Or I didn't know that, you know, you see a completely different perspective than I do. And I wonder what others think about it now that I'm seeing three or four. So it really lays the groundwork for greater connection and greater creativity.
0: So a lot of what we've been talking about is one-to-one or one-to-a-few people, but I'm curious if there's a way to systematize these types of conversations to where like an, an entire organization is on the same page when it comes to these conversations worth having. What, what In your experience, can you systematize it? Oh,
1: absolutely. It, that's, and that's really actually where appreciative inquiry started. It's scaling conversations to the whole. So all stakeholders and there's a process called the 5D process. The D stand for define, define what the issue is, then discover, discover strengths, discover best practices, discover opportunities and people's visions, their wishes. And then to dream, what does it look like when we are successful? And the fourth D is to design. How do we design pathways to achieve the dream? And then finally to deploy or to move into our destiny actively, kind of creating that thing that we can envision together.
0: So I imagine with moving to conversations like these, there is some science behind this and what's happening in our brains. So if we're having, we're moving from like a critical or destructive conversation, one of negativity versus one with positive intent. It's engaging, it's all the things that you've described. What's what's going on upstairs?
2: Okay, so I'll just take this one. When we go from a place of destructive, depreciative conversations, we're putting people in a protect mode and they shut down. And you're coming from the back of your brain. So if you're in a place where you're listening to this podcast and you are not driving, you can put your hands behind your head. Think of where your thumbs are, your thumbs are down you're closed, you're protected, and your brain repertoire is shutting down and you're not listening and you're wanting to fight it or flee or freeze up. And that's what begins to happen when you're having critical or destructive conversations. It's impacting the chemistry in your body. Whereas when you are asking generative questions and doing positive framing, you're working from the frontal part of your brain. So if you just put your two hands on your forehead, your thumbs are up, and you're working from the frontal part of your brain, the executive functioning, and you're going into this connect mode, blood is flowing to all the right places in your body. It's the happy hormones coming through. It's so good for your well-being, and you and I are connecting in a conversation.
1: I was just going to say you also noted earlier uh, branded emotional intelligence and the emotional intelligence is seated in that prefrontal cortex. And so when we're in that place of protection, we can't even access our emotional intelligence.
0: That is so true. Now, I'm curious if organizations are adopting these ideas, what kind of Culture shift? Are we seeing? Like, have you worked with organizations that have really made the shift organizationally wide? And what are the, what are the outcomes? I'm curious what kind of culture they have.
1: Hey, we can both answer this. You want to go first, Jackie? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just thinking that
2: you have places that um they're transforming it's a very healthy culture. People are excited to come to work. You just, you can feel, sense the the buzz around how people treat each other. Productivity is up, employee engagement. It just transforms the work cultures. And I think also that people catch on that you're modeling the way to have these types of conversations. And it's kind of, it's like a positive contagion going through your organization.
1: I think the other thing that I've been seeing with with my clients around this is that people begin to adopt a few set of common terms that continuously bring them back to having conversations worth having. There are terms like, oh, they're in the middle of like spinning around the problem and the negative and somebody says, wait a minute, we need to name it. And boom, the energy changes. Or someone says, wait a minute, I'm in protect. Um, I, I need to get above the line. And just that simple bit of asking questions, they're starting to go back and forth at each other and suddenly somebody will say, let's widen the screen. And all of a sudden, everybody shifts into asking generative questions. And so it really creates this culture where people are more easily able to connect with each other, engage with each other, not feel threatened and find that they feel valued and they and value others.
0: What's the learning curve on on this? I mean, we're talking about this at a high level, but if somebody really wanted to make an intentional shift in the conversations they're having, is it easy to get started? Is it gradual? Is it immediate? Like you just flip the switch? Like what tips do you have for getting started on something like this?
2: I'd like to say- <laughs> How
0: bought in you are to it probably. <laughs>
2: okay, that's it. That's yeah. But I, here's what happens. If you try it out and, and we have a couple stories, if you just learn to ask- generative questions, you begin to see in the moment people shifting, and that generative questions can organically create a positive frame. So you have to practice this. And if you are typically a person that's been below the line, a little bit negative, critical, and you ask the question, sometimes you have to, I call it, pause and let people ponder. She's asking me what I wish for. She's never asked me what I wish for. So it's asking against, and I really want to know what your wishes are and getting comfortable with that silence so that the person's wishes can surface.
1: And it's, it's very easy to get started. And what People who either read the book or especially people who attend our boot camps have said is, oh, my goodness, I just asked this simple question and everything changed and it becomes its own positive feedback loop. And so every time you try it, it reinforces practicing it again.
0: Well, the second edition of your book is – is out conversations worth having using appreciative inquiry to fuel productive and meaningful engagement. I encourage people to go pick it up. I read this in two hours, short read. It's a quick read. And I mean, it's really engaging because of storytelling, but there's also a lot of like really good questions in here too, that people can, can grab and probably use in in their conversations. So highly encourage people to go check it out. Sherry, Jackie, this has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Where can people learn more about you, uh, what you're up to, anything that you want to point people to?
2: I would say go to our website, CWH.today, just CWH, which stands for Conversations Worth Having.today, and you can download the preface, the introduction. You can download a free conversation toolkit that has generative questions for you. There's a blog there. There's boot camps you can sign up for. There's eight different ways to order the book if you're not an Amazon fan.
0: Sherry Torres, Jackie Stavros. Thank you so much for being part of the show. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much again for having us. It was a great conversation. One worth having, Brandon.